All right, welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today we have with us Matthew Parks. And Matthew is the basically the big man on campus when it comes to uh, managing IT at Pace <laughs> Center for Girls. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, let's just be honest, right? I mean, you keep, you keep, everything, keep everything running over there. Um, so we had a really interesting conversation on the phone briefly and I just kind of want to start off with this and because I haven't talked about COVID too much because I think everyone does that. It's it's easy to talk about COVID and everyone's all these emails I get in my inbox every day are like, are you prepared for, you know, this, that and everything. It's it's almost like Y2K except it's real. Um, You mentioned COVID being like the tech linchpin and uh, in kind of like this digital divide and I just wanted to let you maybe expand on what you meant by that. And maybe it has something to do with, you know, all the memes that we see as COVID being the driver of technology when really it should be you. Well, thank you very much, um, Philip. So the first thing I'll say about that is that um, I, I was asked to speak at a couple of conferences because, you know, we really, we had a pretty uh, smooth transition into, to the COVID from the uh, staff side because we had already um, moved a lot of our premises to the cloud. A lot of that is predicated on the fact that we are a nonprofit and, you know, it's more advantageous mm-hmm. you know, financially for us to have uh, cloud premises as opposed to standing up boxes and of iron. And, and, and if you don't mind me, inter- if you don't mind me yeah. Yeah, interrupting, like, because you said it, not, you know, when, when an IT guy says it or someone inside the organization says it, it's true. Right. When someone else tells you um, that it's advantageous to move to the cloud and it's cheaper and more affordable, et cetera, then it might not be true. But why was it true for you guys specifically? I mean, you just mentioned a few things like, you know, servers, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe power or stuff like that. But why was it financially beneficial for you? Well, I'll tell you. So, the um, and again, let me. Let me back up a bit and explain it. I, you know, I'm old school. I've been in this game since 1995, and I used to build my own servers back in the day, or we'll build servers for customers as well, um, as part of an assembly tech and those type of things. Um, so I, when the cloud first um, started to raise its head, and again, the cloud's been around since 1969, right? I get that, but <laughs> um, um, but. If we once we started to use cloud computing, which again, being in the game as long as I have, you know, working on mainframes, it looked very familiar. It's distributed computing, right? And what we did is um, being able to. I wasn't necessarily on board because there are a lot of things that you do have to give up. Anything you do, there are concessions, right? So you give up some control because you don't have control over that premise itself. You don't have the ability to physically touch it, upgrade it, migrate. So you don't have that. So you have to give a lot of that control over. Um, but what I will tell you is that um, on the savings um, that you realize is that you control it, right? So you have less people that have to manage that piece of iron to make sure that it has the proper cooling, that it has the proper uh, electrical uh, pull draw, that it has all of its updates. Uh, just as an example for from a management perspective, you no longer have to do that. We looked at it as a control premise. It's like, man, I'm giving up control to someone, but on the other side, now you look, I look at it as that, you know, that's one less, you know, update that I have to configure and the one less uh, period of downtime that I have to incur on my organization and production time that I can actually uh, uh, 
that I, I, I don't have to have a person scheduled to do that. You know, so they're in, I don't have to send out that email saying, hey, we're going to be down from X to Z on these days because we need to do this maintenance. So there are a lot of other things that come into it from a scheduled maintenance perspective that um, you realize once you're in it. So there's that. Number two, um, a, a wise person told me, a friend of mine uh, over at uh, another uh, technology organization, as we were starting our journey into the whole Microsoft Office 365 Azure world, he, he, they told me, he said, one thing you need to realize is that once you go into the cloud, there's no way to come back into a physical premise. And and when he said that, I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the reason is, is that you cannot afford the number one, the uh, the cost savings that you occur from, um, uh, look at OneDrive, for example. You have everyone, and you know this, we had H drives or whatever people call them in your organization where everyone had their own little home drive, right? That mm-hmm, they would store mm-hmm. things to, which was convenient for IT in case a computer went down or something that they had a place online on a server somewhere. Well, with Office 365, you now gained a, a terabyte per person in your organization of online stores that's available anywhere. So if you draw that out and think about what that would take for you to build yourself, meaning that you'd have to have some type of secure VPN or some type of premise that allows you to have accessibility for everyone in your organization to your internal servers to be able to access that stuff anywhere they had the uh, opportunity to do so, including mobile devices, which aren't inherently made to connect to those type of premises, right? Mm-hmm. All that work is done for you through a simple premise of, yes, I'll take the OneDrive for business, right? Mm-hmm. And the cost per gig, if you will, which we still use cost per gig, is it, it, you can't fathom the difference in cost per per uh, gigabyte of space that you get in that virtual premise or in the cloud premise that you do um, in hardware. So that was what he was explaining to me is for you to be able to build out the capacity that you are taking on inside of someone else's data center, it, you won't be able to replicate it. And he, and he was right when he told me that. And um, so those are some of the savings that we've actualized is that we get, you, you do get so much more and such more, uh, more of a, um, so much more of a rich, uh, more rich experience than you would if you were to simply um, try to build it out yourself. Um, And I promise, I promise everyone listening that this is, uh, this is not being sponsored. Uh, I did not pay you to say this. <laughs> it is not. No, <laughs> no. You know, no, no. There I is mean, no really. check coming. But no, I, I, <laughs> you should be. Here's the other piece of it is the, is the, is the scalability, right? Yeah. So the ability for me to go in and, um, for example, Going back to COVID, so um, the first, uh, let's see, the second week of March is pretty much when the world started to slow down on its axis, and we all started to spin a little slower, right? And um, we had to come to the realization, you know, here in Florida, where I am located, um, we, there was, and it's particularly in Jacksonville, we were the first city to actually shut down in Florida. And that is what prompted a lot of other cities to shut down. You know, we don't have as big a name, but we do have the largest population, right? So once that started to happen, people started to see 
um, that, you know, we started to have questions, you know, what do we do about school? What do we do about work? Um, so as far as the work part, we, you know, we, uh, I was on vacation. The, the, the day that we came, I was driving back home the day that the announcement was made that we were shutting down because of COVID. Um, the night before we were in Orlando on vacation and we, we were, uh, we had just made the decision that, Hey, we're going to go to, there was a Orlando magic game that was, um, scheduled for that night the night before and we went on to buy tickets and the tickets were not available mm. and we turned on the television and that's how we learned you know that the nba which a lot of kudos goes to adam silva for mm-hmm. being able to uh, to make that decision to stand out there because again he was the person who started the entire shutdown in the u.s it has nothing to do party officials and that type of thing, political parties, uh, president, governor, mayor. It was Adam Silver, the NBA, who made a decision to shut down his league. And once he did that, there was a cascading effect across all of business. And so he is the person who who did that. And, you know, he should be remembered for that. And um, right or wrong, he should be remembered <laughs> for that. So in any case, we're driving home. Yeah. And there are... The, the traffic's terrible and we turn on the, um, you know, the radio and we're listening to, uh, we finally get an area where we can hear the, uh, long, uh, hear the, uh, local radio here in town. And they was talk about the shutdown and the, the, my wife turns on her phone and, and she starts to, uh, pull down the, um, uh, the video for one of the news stations, uh, as we start to get closer to town and we started to see a press conference. And again, you go back and you're like, wow, you know, school's going to be shut down, you know. So my organization sent out a memo or sent out an email and notification said, hey, we're going to have a meeting on giving um, everybody a chance to get settled. We come in, we have a meeting on Tuesday with the senior leadership. And the first question was, you know, okay, Matthew, what do we do from the technology perspective? And I said, well, we've already deployed teams. And for us, we had just deployed teams um, in December. Um, we had finished deploying in December. We had cut over from our Skype for business over two teams. Man, um, talk December, about time. So we already had that in place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I wanted, yeah. and here's the thing, I wanted to do it earlier in the year, but I had some, um, had some uh, obstacles in play, let's say. Um, so yeah, we had just, we had just made the migration and, uh, I told her, you know, I told my CEO and, uh, you know, executive leadership team that our easiest thing was we already have teams. It allows us to communicate and allows us to, we can call each other internally. So we basically, we've already moved to it. We've sent out the information on it. So that was what the next week was, was me messaging, re-messaging to everyone because even though we had moved, to teams, we the adoption number wasn't quite there where the entire organization would be able to just spontaneously jump out and do this, right? Um, and who's your CEO? Uh, Who's your CEO? Uh, Mary Marks. Okay, we gotta give her a uh, shout Mary out. Mary Marks is our CEO. Yeah, we gotta give her a shout yeah. out. We really, we're giving and, you, uh, really, we're giving you a shout out. <laughs> I mean, this is like the show. This, uh, I'm already thinking, like, this is the show for CEOs. Who cares about IT leaders anymore? You just did the job for everybody. This is the podcast for your CEO to listen to. Uh, Send and let them listen to it. You did the job for you, okay? There's no more worrying. We don't need to talk about selling executive management, getting a seat at the round table anymore. Just take this show and let them listen to it and your job's done for you. Matthew Matthew already did it for you. 
I appreciate that. You know, I really have to get some credit to is having you and you know, what you having said that to our executive leadership team. They've been wonderful through this. Um, they've really supported technology, you know, starting with our chief business officer, Teresa Giles, who is my direct boss, um, and uh, her team, uh, Jessica over the COO, who is in charge of the people side of the house, uh, Teddy um, Thompson, mm-hmm. who is our um, and chief administrative officer um mm-hmm. they've really been supportive and um it really you know it started with Teresa wanting mm-hmm. to bring technology or bring a nonprofit bring mm-hmm. technology into a nonprofit space and really do it mm-hmm. like a corporation mm-hmm. and that was her vision and um once you know she started to build that team I was fortunate enough to be a part of that team and that's how we got here and Mary did give her that ability to stretch she basically said yes let's go ahead and do this it wasn't easy you know, because again, you're having to change a lot of mindsets, but she was able to uh, uh, allow, she gave her the room to do that, to do the experiment. And uh, here we are. Talk to um, me. So What's yeah, the mindset? Sure clear so that- what, what, what is, what was the, I don't know if I want to say toxic, but what was the, mm. let's just say old school well, legacy, absolutely. legacy, legacy is better. What was the legacy mindset? Um, so when I, when I arrived, we had, um, we were only, I guess, fully were 18, 17, 18 locations. Each location had its own um, uh, network and they weren't interconnected with the main network. There was no real main network, if you will. We had no, uh, the phone system the same. We were, um, you know, calling long distance to each other. Um, we had no single file repository, really. Uh, there was one, but it was um, all of the uh, the majority of the hardware. I'll say that way. I say probably close to ninety percent of the hardware was mm-hmm. donated hardware, mm-hmm. um, and it was failing. Yeah, I mean, classic, it was, classic it was non-profit. Classic non-profit. Oh, yeah. You know, like the, we like had the a metal shell on the outside of a server. Yeah. You know, fans, right. fans point that main storage repository that we write, dude. That that is not, and the computer sitting on a table. Yeah, yeah. Um, our main repository of uh, a storage repository. That server itself was old. It was an old um, store from somewhere else. And what's funny about it is that you know what an interactive interactive login is. Go. You know, when you press OK and it has the name of the company and their policies, that's, that's an interactive login. It's something you set up in the group policy of the server, you yeah. know, basically to get people to acknowledge, hey, by signing on, you agree to these terms. Mm-hmm. Um, the interactive login on that computer was from the old place it was donated from, just to tell you, you know, what we're dealing with. I have run into yeah. a nonprofit where the motherboard had like some kind of license soldered onto it. So it was an impossibility to like migrate it because it had like physical, I don't even know how to describe it. It was so old. Yeah. That makes, and, have you ever seen sense. that? Like physical, physical things soldered yeah. onto a modern so that you couldn't like, I don't know, it was just some weird operating old. Anyways, um, yeah. fan pointing at it, open box, like really ridiculous stuff. Keep going. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was, it was like that. So, you know, um, morale was low, uh, view of technology was poor. And part of it, you know, was, it was experiential, right? Their experience with technology was bad here. Therefore technology itself was bad. So, and, um, anytime you, and there was a lot of stop start where people had come in and try to do certain things, 
and it didn't um, didn't work out. So then that became another pile of things that you had to overcome or a challenge that you had to try to uh, you know do your job. And mm-hmm. uh, so the technology basically was a hindrance to the productivity than it was actually a uh, a benefit or an improvement of the tech of the. Uh, of the uh, productivity. So a lot of people look you know, at this situation just so I, I run into this and I, I've run into this myself and a lot of people will look at this situation and be like, yeah, so what? That's easy. Like anyone could fix that. Uh, what's the hard sale? Like it's so obvious. Uh, but unless you're in that really kind of entrenched, like you said, low morale, uh, low. Well, start, it is and it isn't. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it is and it isn't. And reason that, yeah, it seems it's easy on paper to fix it, but um, you know, there's there's trust issues. Number one, mm. because you know they as simultaneously people trust the technology, the way it works, the way it does, and it and also understand that it's failing. It's almost like an abusive relationship, if you will, that you're the person that you're that you're dependent on also is not dependable and you see that in kind of a codependent relationship and that's kind of where they where it was here where you know we uh, my first two weeks here um i actually i didn't get my computer as the it guy for the first week and a half two weeks i was here and then when i got it it was a computer that i actually had to configure and then i had to fix every other day you know and again it's about investment and so you know, once, you know, we, the, the turning point for us, because we, you know, again, I was part of a plan that was set forth by uh, predecessors and by, um, really by contractors uh, and predecessors and Teresa Giles, who came in and they said, you know, we need to do something about this. Because again, if you look at it, like you said, from the outside and say, well, yeah, you've got, you know, 18 different centers around the state of Florida and you need to interconnect those to each other. You need to be, you need to have a system that allows you to easily communicate with one another. You need to, all of those things are, you know, no brainers, common sense. They are, they are, unless you don't have the money to do so. That's the other part of it is that it's not, it's easy, but it's not free. So I don't want to, let's talk about the money, I guess. Let's talk about the money, but (laughs) <laughs> I, I also want to put this in the back of your head. How has this technology helped? If you're talking about abusive relationships and codependency and wrapping right. that in with technology, and again, there, not to there is a deeper relationships just to be sure. There, what do you say? As to not to diminish abusive relationships, I just want to make sure I'm clear, but that was the <laughs> most immediate thing that I could, yeah. Well, just the fact that you're saying that tells me that this tech, that your, the technology change within your organization itself has had an impact on the actual vision of the organization, not, not from a monetary standpoint, not from a, I, I want to I know how technology has helped um, in, increase what what's the word um add value to people's daily lives i'll tell you this number one um people can come in and do their jobs without having to worry about whether they trust the technology enough that they can come in and do their jobs without thinking about having how am i going to accomplish this goal that's Mm -hmm. one of the number one pieces that we have that we that technology is properly deployed it has actually allowed them to be able to flourish that way. Number two, it's 
one less thing they, they had to worry about. Well, is my computer going to turn on? Or if it is, you know, can I get to my email today? Am I going to be able to receive the phone calls I need today? So when you take away a lot of those things, because again, for me, my vision of technology, the, um, the pinnacle of technology to me, and this may sound silly to some, but my pinnacle of technology is the television. Because there are very few things about the television that confuses people. But it's a very high-tech <laughs> device and haven't and have gotten very high-tech over time. Person walks in, they grab a remote, they press the on button, it turns the thing on. The man and the woman on the bo- inside that box will talk and you can make them talk louder or you can make them talk softer or mute them completely uh, or turn change the channel to a different man or woman in the box. You'd and think. you can find those type of things and... All of this is happening at 60 hertz a second in front of your eyes being transmitted through space and underground through copper into your home. <laughs> or glass. Um, yeah, uh, or I'm, glass. Going to, I'm going to disagree just because my 85-year-old father, first okay. of all, picked up a telephone last night, which all he has to do is pick up and make a call or receive a call. And call me mm-hmm. to have me help him turn on the television. <laughs> I will. And again, we, we, there is a thing with us in technology where we do that, where we do overcomplicate things. Now, I have had issues with that um, myself in my own history, my own family, where that's happened, where I have, you know, sibling or whatever may call and say, hey, I'm having trouble. And it turns out you're using the wrong remote because <laughs> all of them look the same now. Yeah. Yep. Like what it was. But. You know, or it's yeah, the you Apple use this remote. And I need the Apple the TV. Yeah. I need the Apple TV connected right. to this with the box. And back in the day, it was the audio visual cables and the Betamax and the V. You know, whatever. Yeah, but it is a case where we get to. You know, we do have a tendency from time to time by adding features, but forgetting that there are humans that are going to operate it. But for the most part, the television is the most simple technology because again you didn't hand that remote to a baby and within minutes they figure out how to turn it on they figure out how to change the channel right yep. and most cases when you know when i used to do field service support for like aol and those type of things what was it what was the question that you always ask is there a kid in the house because it didn't have that innate fear that pressing the wrong button was going to cause something catastrophic to happen which is what a lot of the jam up in a, in in technology um adoption is right is that um my mom we got our first microwave we didn't use it for six months because you know she was afraid of the health things and all of the other pieces that would affect by <laughs> the microwave yeah yeah so don't, don't ever um, look directly into the microwave don't look directly into the microwave. <laughs> well don't stand too close to it and make you sterile those type of things yeah. uh, i ran into someone the other day that says i hope you're not using a microwave his my i have a friend that's an engineer mechanical engineer over here in the united states he's from yemen and his dad's calling him like, you're not using a microwave, are you? <laughs> it's just great. That was a funny question. Uh, and there might be some truth to it. I really don't know. I am, that's not my field. Um, okay, so the money. Right. Um, well, first of all, oh. I guess where I was get, before we go yes. move on, I, I, w- I was getting at how we've changed people's lives. In other words, technology in a hospital, for example, can be a make or break for life and death. Technology in your organization can be a make or break for, I'm assuming, uh, girls' lives. That's true. 
That's absolutely, uh, that's an honest assessment, yes. And now because technology is in place, proper technology, not technology for technology's sake, but purposed technology is in place and it is, well, it is supported, well supported, that now people can just go and do their jobs as opposed to having to, um, uh, having to work the computer for say, they just go in and it's an ambient technology. And that's always for me, I guess, is what I'm getting to is that's the goal is that where we are now, we're in a, we're in a, um, we're in a world where technology is ambient and we have to be able to um, jump to that stream and jump out of the stream at will because these com- the computers themselves, everything that we're dealing with now of consequence is some type of computer whether it be, you know, that smartwatch that you have on, whether it be the car that you drive, most cars now, you know, they're using Ethernet cable in them now, right? As opposed to the wiring harnesses that I used to work on back in the day. That's crazy. And I never thought the about reason that. that is, yeah, I mean, problem, and the reason is because they're becoming more computers. You think about it, you have Apple Pay, uh, Apple, um, Apple, uh, the uh, car, and mm-hmm. uh, you have the Android Auto and by Apple Play. And by going into your car, you plug in your computer, your phone, mm-hmm. into another computer through a USB interface or through wireless or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the two talk to each other. And if, depending on the car, if it's a Tesla or you know certain models of Cadillac or other GM cars or even others mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. If you go into your phone and you put into that computer the destination and you interface with your car's computer, it will drive to the destination for you. Unbelievable. We just need automatic updates yeah. for the cars. I need some automatic updates. I don't well, want to have to drive my car into the... Uh, that should be... I'm sure it does happen on many. Um, <laughs> so going back to how that's helped people is that, again, you number one, you take that burden off of the people of having to understand technology because that's not their job. So having people that know that part of it and can, and can um, uh, set that in and put that into motion where that is no longer an issue for them, number one. Number two, making it reliable and trustworthy where it's no longer a gamble that uh, I'm rolling the dice every time I try to use it, putting it in present an example, I mean, uh, putting it into action where um, when I turn on the computer, my expectation is that it works. And so the anomaly is that it doesn't. Flipping that on its head gave people the confidence that they no longer, this is that they can just go and do their job with this. And now it becomes um, a conduit for them to do their job, a way for them to increase their productivity. And then as you continue to progress and stack technology on top of that, then you find other ways to pull out their creativity and or productivity. That's kind of where it goes through. So how it's benefited us as an organization, for example, is that it's given us the ability to, um, it's given us the ability to be more nimble but having those having those tools at our disposal, technology at our disposal, um, for example, as a nonprofit, we raise money, right? That's one of our primary goals so that we can then take that money and then, you know, mm-hmm. output it into the curls in some way, shape or form. Well, the ability for us to be uh, to be more efficient and effective at doing that is enhanced by technology, right? The ability for us to monitor and manage how well we're doing that or not 
we can monitor and manage that through technology. The ability for us to forecast, you can do that through technology. So it's it's a it's it's a there's a through line there between okay, now I've gotten everybody here the where technology is no longer a burden and oh now they see that it's actually a tool now they see that it's actually a benefit and as you start to step up that pyramid you get to a point where people um, are able to look at this um, technology and ask what else can this do for me as opposed to oh my god it's down again (laughs) uh this you're very motivating. Sorry if I'm going on too many tangents here, but no, you no, you might be you might be one of the most motivational IT guys I've ever talked to. I think you should be the next motivational IT speaker if that's an ex- if that exists. Mm. Um, what I'm I'm, I'm like taking pages of notes. I've taken the most notes here. I've taken a long time. The okay, so let me ask you this: What happens if someone doesn't pivot, or what has happened to the people that did not pivot? Um, those are your words, not mine, when COVID-19 hit. What's the catastrophic, that's my word, catastrophic um, results? I'll tell you, the, you, people go out of business. And I mean, this is a Darwinian thing, right? If you, you either evolve or die. And um, you look at um, businesses out there, small businesses that were able to pivot to some type of internet premise um, because again let's look at what was going on you were asked to if you could stay home and if you could as a business owner not open and if in here under threat of losing your power where they threatened to cut your power initially if you if they found that you were in violation of this mandate um, to try to slow the spread of uh, this virus and so now as a small business owner what do I do you know, um, I you look at is okay. Let's look at the businesses that did survive and some that actually thrived. And what did they do? They were able to pivot to a premise, the internet, that allowed them to still interface with customers. Right? They were still able to sell their their wares, their merchandise, whether it be food or clothing, and um, be and they just had to adapt how they that premise to them. So whether that was shipping or if it was delivery, they had to then move into those realms. Yeah, they may still have laid off a few people, but they were actually able to repurpose people into different jobs as well, meaning they were able to keep people employed. So that's where the difference between, you know, not being able to understand, again, that taking it from being a burden to being a tool, to being a benefit, how you can see that this is where you're going to have to land at some point. Um, You know, we look at uh, restaurants being a big example that we talked about previously, right? Where if I had a restaurant and you take two restaurants next to each other and one, both of them are asked to close. And you have the one restaurant who, you know, stands up their webpage and they turn on online ordering and even let's say that they or or we can say and or they move on to you utilize someone else's infrastructure that's already built, such as uh, Grubhub or DoorDash, to accomplish that goal, right? And I, if you're able to do that, 
then you're able to stay in business. You're able to keep money coming in. And at some point, you also open yourself up to a brand new audience of people that may not have heard of you. You have uh, accessibility and food is a little different because it still breaks down to kind of local, right? Whereas if you had, um, let's say, a uniform service, well, um, I have a family member who has a uniform service. And in that uniform service, if they're online, then yes, they can continue to take orders as opposed to people coming into the threshold of the door. They can actually now move to, to sending them to the website, the website, they can perform the order there, make the purchase. And then um, through whatever back channels they have set up, they can then ship those wares or deliver those wares to those people or even have curbside set up for them to make sure. But beyond the local service, now, if I am a nurse, for example, because of uniform service, you can get scrubs there, right? And I need you know, um, scrubs, um, you know, uniforms for work. And I go online and I see this site. I don't really know that they're in Jacksonville, Florida, and I may be in Arizona, Mesa. But I can then place that same order. And in a matter of days, I can have that equipment shipped to me or those, that equipment, the clothing shipped to me. So that business has not only been able to survive and possibly thrive, but they're able actually to increase their footprint beyond their own borders of their city or their own local community, which gives them more resilience in case something else happens in their community. That at least, you know, if COVID gets worse here and I have less people purchasing things for, you know, job related or whatever, they have other communities that can support them. And you saw this happen from around the country where people were sending monies to organizations that they've never visited, bookstores right? Restaurants, bars, entertainment venues to keep, at least keep the lights on so that they can survive through this, uh, this new normal as like everyone likes to call it. That is where <laughs> the benefit of technology lives. The, yeah, I, there's so many, uh, again, just, um, so many avenues. Anytime I'm on a new diet, I'm always on, you know, Yelp, like searching, like what restaurants can provide this, you know, like if I'm on a keto diet, like what restaurants can provide, you know, burgers, no bun with, you know, whatever, like, you know, I'm like looking like within a certain radius. Um, And if you weren't on there, if you weren't on there, but you provide that access, you're not getting my business. Um, Just just because I don't know, you know, Uh, there's probably some even more outbound marketing methodologies that could um that could even be utilized even more because i'm sure they're all pixeling me they're pixeling my you know oh i looked at a keto recipe on facebook so a local restaurant should be using that pixel and should be sending me some sort of ad you know we we get real in depth with that and whether that's censoring or not or whether they should be allowed to have access to that information i've fully provided it to them uh outstanding what about you? We talked about scalability earlier. Right. You mentioned that you went from 500 to 2,500 end users almost overnight. Yes. What was that like? Well, I mean, that speaks to, again, uh, that cloud premise. And um, 
our local community, um, our local schools, they had gone to Teams to continue teaching because, for example, Teams has an education component called assignment where it was it's built in. Now it has its foibles, it has its issues, but it was there, and so we looked at it and decided that we could actually um, provide education to the girls through our online component of Teams. Mm-hmm. And, um, which was a, um, which just so happens our school district was doing the same thing, which kind of validated where we were with this, but we did it, you know, in a statewide capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, just thinking about having to procure that much space that you're growing by an order of five overnight mm-hmm. to provide not 500 people who, communication capabilities, bandwidth, that type of thing. Now you've got to do that for 500 people all at home, not in, is it in, even if you think about it from a scalability base that I have, you know, 21 locations where those people are located. Okay. So that means we have to just worry about those 21 locations. No, 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 no. Now I've got to worry about, you know, 2,500 different locations that we've got to worry about where each one of them has their own unique, technology uh, challenges per se and work through those pieces but we were able just by running a script and by fortune of having those accounts that we just had in the student accounts which we had not used of you know working out the naming convention and uh, setting up a script in PowerShell and um, being able to um, my uh, network administrator my uh, system administrator was able to stand that up and it literally took about a weekend to get the rest of them. And the only reason it took that long was we did a couple of tests. Of, we basically did a location, a, a list of, that was the length of an entire location just to see what a batch would look like. And once we did that, we just let it loose. Um, and once that was successful, we let it loose and it created those accounts overnight. And really so cool. now we, and I mean, you were able to do that in, again, in a, that's not to say you can't do that in brick and mortar. You could, but again, you have space concerns that you have to worry about all of a sudden, right? Um, you have, um, you may need another server to be able to support that because of licensing and licensing is different when it comes to um, uh, the scale. And if we needed to buy more, there's the immediacy of being able to purchase it and have it as opposed to purchase it wait for it to ship, receive it, configure it, build it, and then stand it up, right? Mm. So those are all steps that you shortcut because you're in this cloud premise that, yes, for the most part, there are some exceptions on the server side of the cloud. But again, most things, uh, I still shortcut at least some of those steps by having a, a cloud premise as opposed to having it um, in a um, in a piece of iron. Awesome. If you had so that's, cost, um, so that's cost savings too, because again, I have a staff that now, as opposed to he that they run test and configure a script to make sure it is correct, and then they automate that script out to accomplish this goal. Versus the other side, where. We have to do all of those things plus stand up the other accounts manually or through a script. Sorry, go ahead. No, what I was going to ask you as kind of a, a closing here, 
what would be, what's your one piece of advice to uh, IT directors out there working in a, working in a similar space like you, I would call it, you know, mid market, you know, it's not enterprise. You're not lost in the bureaucracy. Um, although it might be a similar piece of advice for the same bureaucracy. Um, but you know, the, the IT director that's got, you know, a smaller team, maybe five, six people and, you know, dealing with the same, same issues that, you know, you're dealing with, maybe dealing with legacy technology, maybe lost, maybe didn't upgrade to teams a month before the whole country shut down, shut down. But, um, what would be, you know, what would be your, your piece of advice be to them? Well, I'd say the first piece of advice is that um, you need to engage your senior leadership. That's the first piece is you have to get them on board with your, with the, well, I guess, let me step back. The first piece of advice is to have a vision of what this could look like um, and make sure that it's a well-founded vision that, you know, that is vetted. Number two, be able to articulate that vision to your senior leadership so that they can then um, support you through this because without their support, you're, you're going to have a lot of problems without their buy-in at the top and their push at the top to the rest of the organization that, yes, this is indeed the direction we're going to take. Number three, uh, my biggest piece, and this is a real big piece, particularly with small teams for efficiency's sake and others, is um, you need to flatten your support. And what I mean by that is you need to look at what you're supporting and go with whatever you deem and can afford as best as breed, best in breed, and support only those things. Meaning the, the one of the biggest problems that you see from a support perspective is having too much diversity of devices. So if I have a, like, Right now, um, prior to that, we have surfaces now as our surface laptop is our that is our standard computer for all of our um, staff. If we uh, look at phones, um, all of our phones are iPhones. Um, having that standard there allows number one, it allows you to develop your team to be experts on those devices. Because they're conceivably, you'll see the same issues come up with those same devices. Those idiosyncrasies will probably be the same and carry with the others. Number two, it allows for course of, um, uh, for um, peer support, meaning that a staff member may be able to support another staff member because they have the same device and may but may have a higher level of technical acumen. Right. Mm-hmm. Number three. It makes it uh, easier from um, to automate. So, if I need to push out updates, or if I have uh, something that needs improvement, I have a single um, platform that I'm working to support that will allow me to um, uh, to more easily integrate that, as opposed to having to figure out. Okay, we have. 25 of this type of machine, 30 of this type of machine, 40 of this type of machine, and now I've got to create images for all those. It becomes a management problem the more diversity you have in those places. And again, being a black guy in technology, I can tell you that I'm all about diversity except when it comes to devices. When you find <laughs> so that's where I draw the line at diversity is that I want to make sure that the devices themselves, whatever that may be, 
is that you need to make sure that they were staying before this. We were uh, we were a Dell house where we had pretty much the Dell 15. Inspiron 15 was pretty much our main workhorse. And that standardization allowed the tickets to come down for one because we were all working on the same device. If we had a problem with one and that problem trended, we could actually get ahead of it because we say, okay, we've seen about five or six of these do this. Let's start to be more proactive on the other side. And, you know, maybe hard drives failing, right? Maybe it was a case when we had that happen with a particular model of a um, all-in-one that we had as our desktop standard where we had a hard drive fail. Then a couple of weeks later, we had another hard drive fail. But the third one, we, that's a trend. And mm-hmm. so what did we do? We were able to proactively buy a bunch of hard drives from an opposite competitor and mm-hmm. then replace those hard drives. And now we don't have any more problems with that machine, at least that problem. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you have too much diversity, then it can kind of add static to that, um, to that, that stream mm-hmm. and you're not able to re- as easily pick out those type of trends, particularly in a small house. I really recommend that it is, is reducing that, that diversity. Um, inside of the uh, hardware um, and, and OS um, for, that, for that matter. So um, those are some of the biggest pieces there. And um, n- number five, make sure, um, as my, my older brother who's a barber says, you have to make sure you keep your razor sharp. Um, <laughs> don't be afraid to... Don't be afraid to, you know, uh, look out for those new trends, but not for, but also be wary of that technology for technology's sake, because all of us have a graveyard or a museum, depending on your perspective of technology that we thought was going to be the next thing that turned Mm. out Mm. to be a paperweight that sits on your desk and looks nice. And people ask you about it as a conversation piece, but it doesn't really do much for you beyond that. Google Glass. Um, I remember being at a jujitsu tournament one time and one of my teammates was like, Hey, can you, he went to the ref. He's like, can you put on my Google glasses? So the, the, the match would be recorded. I just, that, that lasted for like a couple months. Might come back. You never know. Maybe it'll make a comeback. Um, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, you just have to vet it and make sure, and you don't have to jump on the first piece that comes out, you know, sometimes, you know, it's that, but I, uh, you know, again, for me, that diversity is a big one and uh, I'll wrap, that conversation, but and I keep going back to it because it's a big piece. But it's you ever go to um, a restaurant that really has this huge menu mm-hmm. of items, right? Yeah, you're overwhelmed, and and you're you're overwhelmed. But the kitchen is also overwhelmed yeah. because now you know they have to buy all of these products for all of these ingredients, and they have to be able to cook all of these different styles, and it becomes a mess. Well, you're you talking to, to a guy that came from restaurant management and would never go back to a restaurant. Right. right. I mean, really. It's and I mean, I, I, imagine I, running I have a, Chili's. a background in restaurant also. Can you imagine running yeah. a Chili's? Like, kill me. I could. I, yeah, I worked in the Chili's once or twice, and it was a, it, it, I can understand what it, there was a schizophrenic um, kitchen. <laughs> because, <laughs> you, you know, some of them had to be a steakhouse. Some of them had to be a wing place, right? So there's that. As you know what place worked to, the best? Uh, you know what place worked the best? Teriyaki walk, teriyaki walk, two, three things on the menu, That's chicken it. bowl, teriyaki steak bowl, a uh, vegetarian bowl, you know, seven ninety nine. Exactly right. line out the door all day long, multimillionaire, Mr. Shin, Fort Collins, Colorado, done. 
And that's the thing. When you look at having that restaurant experience, which I do also, you can go into a place, look at their menu, and you can tell pretty much what ingredients they're ordering <laughs> because you see it in throughout the menu. But mm-hmm. it gives them a chance to really do a great job on those few things as opposed to trying to do a good job on a lot of things. And that's where I tell people that that is where the biggest cost benefit come from is cutting down your menu because it, A, offers your users less choice, which seems like a bad thing, but it also gives them more freedom because now they have they don't have to think as much about what they're doing which device and all of this, they just go and they can go do it. But your staff can now also operate at Michigan star level, right? (laughs) At at Michigan star level, because they have a few ingredients that all they can do is, and they now have the ability to experiment with those same things and see what, how else they can squeeze that next star out of the, uh, of the environment. So I, I really am a big fan of, of reducing the menu, making it as simple as possible, um, good ingredients, and making some great dishes as opposed to making a lot of good dishes. Totally agree, man. Couldn't agree more. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. This is absolutely the podcast for the CEO to listen to. Um, I look forward to seeing your growth and having you back on again in the future, especially if you have any great ideas. Anytime. Yeah, man. Appreciate it.